Hello, girls, boys, and everyone in between. I'm Scarlett. I'm Roxy. And I'm Marjorie. And we are the Red Resistance Podcast. Before we get started, a little light housekeeping. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps us get a little higher up on the podcast food chain, but also, we just really like to know how we're doing. Headpats make us very giddy. Also, please check out our Patreon. Patreon is essentially an online tip jar. You have the option of making a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustaining donor of varying tiers. There, you will have access to cut content, ridiculous outtakes from those days where our deviations are too precious to delete, and early episode releases. We know times are tough. They are for us, too. But if you're lucky enough to have a little to spare, throw some at us on Patreon. It helps keep the lights on and the Hulu subscription running. Find us on patreon.com slash the Red Resistance or search on Patreon for the Red Resistance podcast. We appreciate it so very much. Finally, be aware that there will be spoilers from the book, future episodes of the show, and potential tie-ins to the book's sequel, The Testaments. They are not detailed and serve to further the analysis of the show. It will be okay. I promise. So with that, grab the beverage of your choice and let us commence dissecting our favorite dystopian TV show. Hey there, podcast buddies. How are you doing today? (laughs) So good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm better than surviving like I promised. Right on. Amazing. I don't know. Thriving is a stretch, but you know, I'm feeling good. (laughs) I am a little bit better than surviving as well. It's not... Not bad. Not bad over here. Yeah. As long as I can keep my head out of my ass for this episode, I think we're good. Roxy, how's it going? Significantly better than last week. Sorry that I uh, that I missed all y'all, but delighted to be back. Um, I've gotten more than four hours of sleep in the last three days, so ready to roll. Yeah, let's do it. Perfect. Yes. All right. So we're going to be talking about season five, episode six, together. More on that title in just a moment. Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about in regards to the last episode? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Roxy wasn't here, and I tried to, like, play music person, and I failed. So I have a correction from last week because Rosie T. Riveter from Twitter pointed out that uh, my history is a little jumbled, and it is because I didn't realize in my Google searching, which is as far as I got in this research, it wasn't very deep, um, I... Moved from the group that I was trying to talk about is called the Christie Minstrels. And they are a black lace group. And that is what I was speaking of when I was talking about the connection with the mockery and the cakewalk and all that. But what I said, I believe, I haven't even gone back to listen to the episode, but I'm pretty sure I was saying throughout the whole thing, mm-hmm. thing the new Christie Minstrels. Oh, okay. Which is um, like, you know. A long time after, I want to say it was like the 1800s was the first one, like maybe the 1840s. Okay. And then the New Christian Minstrels is the 1960s. Yeah. And they picked up the word new and they dropped the blackface. Wow. Okay. And they otherwise, you know, kind of did the same thing. They did cover Oh, Susanna. Oh. Um, but that was not the group that I was trying to refer to. So thank you for that correction. Um, What I was actually trying to say is that Oh, Susanna was written in 1847 and published in 1848. And it was made, it made Stephen Foster an instant success as a composer and launched his musical career. It was inspired, the song itself was inspired by blackface minstrel groups he encountered while working for his brother in Cincinnati. And then Susanna was published by Peter and Field, a local music store, but a New York publisher pirated the song, publishing it under the name E.P. Christie. The song quickly gained popularity by means of Christie's minstrels in Manhattan. And that is what I was trying to say. Not the new Christie minstrels. That was a couple centuries later. (laughs) Okay. Fun little factoid. Uh, The new Christie minstrels um, was the launching ground for Kenny Rogers, of all people. Really? What? See, this is why we need you around. Thank you for coming back. I'm so glad you've got more than four hours of sleep because I need you around. That's cool. (laughs) Imagine what I can do with five hours of sleep. I know. Imagine. No, that's very cool, though. I didn't know that about uh, about O Susanna. Yes. So I was trying to just kind of find a connection, and I I didn't look into it too deeply. There's actually, as I was trying to figure out what I said and what I was trying to say and what I screwed up on— 
I did find a lot more. So maybe, you know, hang tight. Maybe, Roxy, if you ever have some time and you want to do a bigger deep dive, I think there's more there. I was reading something about how, I guess, Stephen Foster, like, through all of this conversation that we had about the song, I didn't even read all of the lyrics all the way through, but it's he's trying to make it sound like slaves on a plantation. Like, he changed the vernacular. And so then later went back and was like, I'm going to I think he tried to change his lyrics, but it was too late. Like the song it I think at the time the song when it was published, I don't know, by the minstrels or whatever, the most copies a single had ever sold was 5000 and Oh, Susanna had 100,000. So it ran away from the composer and he tried to, like, fix his fuck up of, wow, this is kind of racist. But it was too late. But I didn't read. I, you know, we have an episode to record. So that's as far as I got with that. And again, I'm running my mouth with shit that I don't know what I'm talking about. So we'll stop. No, I can't wait to rabbit hole about that, though. Thanks. Thanks. You you take that baton. I've had enough of that one. I will take that baton. And if there's anything exciting or interesting to report, then I'll get back to you, ladies. Of course. Right on. Marjorie, Roxy, thank you for the clarification. I totally appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, What are we drinking today? So today we are drinking, we're hitting the hard stuff because this episode was a roller coaster of emotions. Um, There were some insanely frustrating moments. There were some joyous moments. Um, There were moments that made me squeal with delight. Um, There were several occasions that we saw commanders clinking glasses um, and bourbon just felt appropriate. Just I, I needed something harder after watching this episode, and uh, the bourbon that we are going to uh, that we are enjoying today is Four Roses. Now, why Four Roses? Oh no, we're drinking a a celebration toast as well for Roses, baby. Da, da, da. Ah, <laughs> what a plot there twist! It is. I love it. I I love that tie-in, and then I'm also I guess I love that. Nick and the wife have a new one. This is yeah. weird. I feel like strange saying this, but also motherfucker's got to move on with his life. I feel good about it for him. Yeah. I do. But we'll get th- we will get there, but mm-hmm. in any event, I think that Rose deserves a toast. It was in any other episode this would have been such a huge moment, but because of everything that happened yeah. in this episode, <laughs> it was it was such a quick like it was a moment, but it was so minor in comparison and Damn it, Rose deserves a moment. So. You're right. You're right. Rose does. It did get glossed over in an episode of a whole lot happening. Yeah. So <laughs> four roses for roses. Four roses. Here's Cheers. Rose. Cheers. May she make it out of her marriage with Nick in one piece and happy and healthy and, you know, all that shit. Good luck, girlfriend. You're in Gilead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that was my hesitation of like. We're happy for them moving on with their life. I'm like, yeah, but I think the issue is he's got to raise his kid in that fucking place. Exactly. Which is a, which is a terrible thought and requires bourbon to uh, to help you deal with that. So and there we go. Here the we are. Diane works all around. <laughs> this title, man. It's a good one. This title is such a fuck you. It is. I mean, it, it, to me, it felt like a fuck you because when I saw that that was it, I was like, come on, come on. I know. Like, we know that we're going to be going back to... Uh, where June and Luke left off. And I'm like, they can't ever truly be together without Hannah. There's no together for them. Mm. There's no together for that couple when mm-hmm. they know that their family has a hole in it and it's devastating for both of them. So together is just a cruel joke. And especially because through this epi- through this scene, they kind of are together, but they're not because they're caged separately. Yet they are together mm-hmm. in their own small way. But together is just... No, that's just, that's a joke. Well, I mean, I don't know because I thought at the end of last episode, I was like, "Well, goddamn it, that is a fuck you." It's yeah. been a fuck you the whole episode. Mm-hmm. And then when we ended the, our talk, I was saying that this episode's called "Together," and it's just a double fuck you. Yeah. But then it started out with them actually together, and I'm like, you know what? They made it through most of the yeah. episode together, so yeah, um, I was okay with it. It didn't feel as much of a fuck you. And everyone's together in this episode. That's why I love this title so yes. much. There is so much together. It's mm-hmm. so cool. Right. Obviously, Luke, uh, Luke and June being together is the primary focus here. But we get Serena and June back together. I love how it, yeah. As soon as it's June and uh, Luke through the whole episode mm-hmm. together for the most part. And then as soon as they get plucked away, the final shot is June and Serena driving off into the sunset. So good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh. 
really appreciated the shit out of this. Mm-hmm. Likewise. This one is directed by Eva Vives, and I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing her last name right. I'm digging her directing, and she did the last episode, too. She did Fairy Tale, and I just really, really appreciate um, how she handles, like, just dark, shitty ambiance. I mean, yeah. the the cage scene, and then also the last episode. I really appreciated the fact that how how she really brought the dive bar to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was there, very, she very. She's really good at just yep, bringing yep. back like a, a certain, a certain mood to a time gone by, and I thought that was awesome. And then just continued into this. I'm like, mm. yeah, I, yeah, agreed. I like it a lot. Yeah, shall we jump in? Yes, 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 yes. Because yes. Discord music is back. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Yay! <laughs> and truck sounds. <laughs> yes, it's our two of our favorite things. Yep. <laughs> Um, I want to give props to Adam Taylor because that is the wonderful composer that gives us this amazing audio backdrop that never fails to make us feel all the feels, Mm -hmm. whether they're terrible or happy. We feel them all, and uh, we appreciate the assist Mm because I think the soundtrack soundtrack to this and the score and how it changes throughout the feeling is like probably one of the best parts of this whole series. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It It is really up there. Yeah, so they're together in the or, um, as the name of the episode implies, in the back of this van, and it's so darling how Luke is trying to escape, and June is just sitting there, just you can see it on her face of just first time, huh? <laughs> She's gonna kill him. She was looking at him like she was going to slap the hysteria right out of him if he didn't stop in another minute, mm-hmm. and. I mean, I think even Luke would admit that this is the weirdest thing that he's experienced. And June's just like, yeah, it's like Tuesday to me. <laughs> yeah, this, right, right. this is totally normal. Mm-hmm. Everything that Luke is doing, the panic attack that he is having, is it's all futile. It's not going to help. And she knows that. But it's, this is old hat for her. It's easy to stay, uh, to remain some level of calm when you have been through this multiple times. And exactly as you said. This is Luke's first rodeo with being in the back of a, uh, back of one of these trucks, at least insofar as I can remember. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because the only time he was ever apprehended by anybody in regards to Gilead was right after June and Hannah had to get running. Right at the beginning. So the only thing that makes me, that I kind of forgot about until I was doing my notes, um, mm-hmm. that is similar, is when he had to get in the trunk uh, with June and Hannah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that was a oh, very small confined that. space. And yeah. he very much didn't want to do it that time either. And it was yeah. June who was like, okay, we just got to do this. Yeah. And then they were in there talking about the um, their first, uh, like that space being bigger than their first apartment. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of their conversation later with the Airbnb. So yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a good point. Uh. Um, I appreciate that while Luke is having this moment, though, where he's trying to escape and he's kicking the wall, um, June is just sort of sitting there and Luke asks in a in a panicked voice, is this Gilead? And she just goes, too many chemicals. It's <laughs> literally sniffed the air. Nah. Yeah, I loved that. <laughs> I loved how attuned she is to the situation. Like she mm-hmm. knows how to sit and be quiet and observe mm-hmm. before she acts. And it also spoke to, to me, it spoke to this animalistic quality that she has when she's in these sort of captive, uh, captive situations because she has to utilize all of her resources. And when you are in Gilead as a woman, one of your few resources that you actually are, uh, one of your few resources is your sense of smell. And it served her before in the past, but like this was just one of those, it was so instinctual for her to just sniff the air. I loved that because it was primal. And she's been in the, a very similar situation of that, the crossing episode. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in that being Gilead, it, it's got to be relatively easy for her to be like, oh, I've been in this situation, but something was drastically different. It's that, let, you know, that intense smell. Yes. Because that's what it brought me back to. Mm-hmm. This whole episode brings me back to that episode. Yeah. Something that bothered me starting in this first scene and that wasn't addressed at all through the rest of this episode where is that goddamn microchip? Where is the microchip? Oh my god! That right. that Jaden gave them with all of the information about the wives' school. And all I could think was, did one of them swallow it? Is it hiding somewhere? Where is this damn chip? Mm. Where is this information? Wait, I think I'll have to go back and see if they 
I mean, they definitely don't have any. Yeah. Where to go? It's in her butt. I honestly, like, I did, I actually did write, did someone swallow the microchip? Yeah. Please tell me someone swallowed it and they'll have to dig through their own poop. Nope, that's terrible. But please, t- but please tell me that one of them has it. And there's no mention of it. And this is the whole impetus for their, uh, for their trip across no man's land in the first place. Maybe they're just really shitty at searching people. <laughs> they could be really shitty at searching people, or it could be that June and Luke are not particularly good, uh, good spies. Maybe. Either way. So there's no mention of it, though, but that that has that is a bothersome thing to me. So hopefully that is resolved in the next few episodes. Totally forgot about that. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So this is when I was like, hey, this is the ear tag thing that's coming back. And this is why you should have gotten rid of the ear tag, because I was anticipating this thing, because as they're booking them and they're trying to explain who you are, June is very confrontational and she's asking the right questions. And um, he fingers her ear and he's like, who are you of? <laughs> Mm-hmm. And she's like, nobody, fuck you. Um, that's right. She's she's of herself. Mm-hmm. That's it. But that ear tag is a liability for her. Mm-hmm. We get another June Osborne. It's been happening through this whole season. It's her. It's June Osborne. Who are you? June Osborne. It's June Osborne. Whether mm-hmm. it's good, it's bad. She's always full name June Osborne. Yeah. Notoriety. Yep. Absolutely. Shall we new scene? Yeah. All right. Well, Serena is going downstairs for yet another glorious day in faux Gilead. <laughs> and she's going for an appointment. But Dr. Landers came to her. Hey, how great is that? Isn't Look that at handy? the convenience. How handy. Amazing. Yeah, this I'll... isn't creepy at all. No, not in the least. Serena looks completely comfortable with this entire notion and seems entirely intrinsically thrilled about it. And I hope that the sarcasm is coming through. Oh, Just thank oozing. you. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you off your rocker? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Serena looks like, I, I, the look on Serena's face, I think she's like, I just walked into some flowers in the attic, some bullshit. Yep. What is this doing here? And you can see the fear, the absolute yeah. Yeah petrified look on her face well i love how in the beginning she's like practically bouncing down those stairs yeah. to get out of that building and it reminds me so much of when june when serena confined june to her room yeah mm-hmm. and then june was desperate to get out to the point where she was that she fainted and then she had the doctor's appointment and it was yep. also she could just have some time to be outside and then serena's drove her there so she couldn't even have that so Mm -hmm. it was really really fun to watch serena go down the stairs so hopeful to be able to go outside for a walk and then miss dr lander shows up Mm -hmm. and it's back up the stairs and jesus christ how many how many flights of stairs are in this house like she's in a tower the the fairy tale imagery of rapunzel i'm like why is she so high that she wasn't that high in the waterford's house (laughs) it wasn't that many stairs there are a lot of stairs in this house i love that though the fairy tale or the fairy tale um imagery of her being in uh, rapunzel's tower that's that is really clever yeah we had kind of danced around it in the fairy tale episode and Mm -hmm. i was like thinking about it afterwards and i'm like oh my god rapunzel with the stolen baby rapunzel is a stolen baby yes It's perfect. Side note as well, if they're so concerned about Serena like overexerting herself, why are they making her walk up 17 flights of stairs? No fucking way. You got to rest. Go to your room. Right. It's a fucking marathon to get up there. Second goddamn house we've seen where they're like, let's put the handmaid as far up in the tower as we possibly can because it'll be fantastic for the baby. And I'm not saying that exercise is a terrible thing, but after a while you get so fat that you're really sick of hauling your ass upstairs, okay? And those stairs, that Serena has looked like fucking torture. That's That shit's not even right. That is not even right. Um, and then when they get upstairs and they're in that room and he's, they're talking about it. And the wheelers had this put in for her safety. Mm-hmm. Um, well, did you see the lock on the door before yes. they no walk shit. in? That was yeah. ominous. Like, yep. mm-hmm. There is no reason for that kind of lock to be on a door at the end. Right. Well, it's interesting in because in June's room, she didn't have a lock, did she? No. That was she a point. She didn't have point. a door, right? She didn't have a door handle. No, she had a, well, she had a door. She okay. had a door. She didn't have a handle, and she, she didn't, didn't have, have a lock. Yeah, I know. And she she definitely didn't it. have a lock. Yeah, right. And now Serena has a lock, but she doesn't even get to leave the house. I mean, June even got to leave the house in most cases, except for that one time with right. Serena. Mm-hmm. And then there's that part where you see Serena, and they focus on her, and it's just darkness behind her, but with that one light. Mm-hmm. And 
that to me, that was like the light bulb going on for Serena. It's getting brighter and brighter and brighter. And she can't ignore like the warning bells anymore. Like, honey, you're a handmaid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, okay, this, and as they get into the scene, okay, is this what was happening? Was I reading this right? When they, when he actually gets her on the table and he's talking about perineal massage, was he doing the massage on her as he was explaining it? Is that what was happening? Um, Because I know we can't see it. And she didn't, she looked, she looked uncomfortable. Yeah. So I don't, but, I, I, that was my assumption. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Um, what I do think definitely is happening, whether or not he's actually doing that in that moment, mm. um, I think from this point on for the rest of the scene, this is her ceremony where we're talking about she's everything Whoa. she's seen so far is like these subtle, you yeah. know, quiet shades of handmaids. This is her ceremony. Everything about the imagery here is ceremony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Want me to get into it? Because there's yes. so much of it. Do yes. Um, okay. Do it. So it starts. See if it. The one that really, because I, it feels like it, just the way it's shot in terms of her face. Like as he starts going into the perineal massage, like it's just gross. It's creepy that he's talking about it like mm-hmm. that. And then yeah. you see her, and you can actually see her heart race. Or not? Okay, that's not true. You can't see her heart race, but you can see her breath quicken yes. in her neck as she's laying there. Thank you. Yeah, and yeah. you can just you feel. I think it's the fetal heartbeat that we're hearing, but yeah. that racing heartbeat because fetal heartbeats are fast. Mm-hmm. On top of watching her breath quicken in her throat while he's like. Doing something, whatever he's doing to her, it it is meant to feel like a ceremony to me because what I kind of thought that was the case until um, he touches her leg. And when he touches her leg, it's that Fred moment when Fred does it with June to get some intimacy. Mm-hmm. And it's such a it was such a thing when he puts his hand on her leg, like, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing that. And it feels the same way because it's her doctor. He shouldn't be doing that. And it just feels so off. Everything about this entire thing is discord. Um, but it's the it's the ceremony. The leg thing was the biggest part. The leg thing. I'm so glad that you brought this up, too, because it was the leg thing. And it was also the way that they focused on Serena's face while she was on the exam table um, is they filmed her from above. And you can see her eyes kind of darting a bit back and forth. And they... Have con- they have consistently filmed June in that same position during the ceremony? Yeah, so yeah. it was meant to evoke that same uh, that same imagery. And it feels like the room is blue. It kind of feels like Serena's bedroom in terms of like we've seen June, like you know, because she talks mm-hmm. about looking up at the ceiling and the blue walls or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then at the end, because it's always so awkward every time we see a ceremony, because then it ends and it's just like she lays there and then she like gets up and you gotta like you know straight around and it's just very awkward and it's the same thing here you know as he's like oh here's the kleenex as he passes it to her and she's like getting her legs off the stirrup and like she's pregnant so it's hard to sit up and she's just it's all very awkward as he like gears up in the background to ask her out on a date it's so gross it's so gross disgusting (laughs) um also something else um before we get into the absolute inappropriate nature of a doctor asking um a patient out um when the uh, when Doctor Landers was talking about how the Wheelers um, had the state of the uh, the state of the art full birthing suite put in, um, she, uh, she uh, he says it was overcautious, but they did it when they thought that there might be a chance that you would be coming to stay with us. Not we know for certain you will be coming with us, and that put the wheels in motion of my mind of. How would they know that she might potentially be coming to stay with them unless there was a safety threat? So who's their man working on the inside? Of course, we know it's Ezra um, at this point. But it's like, how long have they been planning this? What has their long game been? How did they manage to plant Ezra into this um, in such a way? Why do you think it's Ezra? Well, because Ezra has been like her security guard effectively since um, since uh, 12 uh, since um, Serena left um, Canadian cus- or United States um, yeah. custody he was she was passed from Twello to Ezra true I think yeah and, and but, Ez- but I think at this point it's pretty clear he's working for what's his name Ryan yeah Wheeler Wheeler he's working yeah he's he is so it's Wheeler that has her right Not yes Ezra. no I'm saying Ezra is the tool with which they managed which with which they procured her. But what have the Wheelers been, or like how long have the Wheelers been playing this long game to be able to get Serena, where they managed to get Ezra to be the per, uh, to be the person to take Serena in, to gain Serena's trust, so that way when something dangerous happens, Ezra's like, I know a place we can go that's safe, and I'll bring you directly into the lion's den. Yeah, they've definitely had their sights on her for a long yeah. time. Yeah. And they're, they're playing their own Lydia long game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
You know what else was really great um, in that conversation is I think he ends it with uh, they understand how valuable you are, how special. And it's like if we've not been saying for five seasons that Serena just wants to be told she's special. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you see it on her face. She hears it. She hears how special she is. And she does not like she it. Like it. <laughs> I love that he called her special. Being and, special isn't that great anymore. Yeah. Come on off this you ride. be special. And especially when they continue and call all the handmaids special. Yeah. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah, so Dr. Landers decides to shoot his shot, though. Oh, you said that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I told you it was a ceremony. Yep. It was a ceremony. Yeah. Oh, Thanks, man. It... <sighs> I just can't with this. This is this is an entirely different situation than when Moira started seeing Odette. That was like a completely different thing because mm-hmm. that situation, Odette was maintained her professionalism the whole time that she was uh, Moira's caregiver. And then, you know, months later, mm-hmm. it becomes a thing. This is acceptable. You don't get to ask the person out on a date after you have essentially tested out the territory. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. No. Oh, so gross. And at the encouragement of the wheelers as well. I know. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> I know. Alanis is just excited because she got to play matchmaker. But I like that he, uh, I love the option he gives her too because I was saying earlier, like she's desperate to get out and he's got to fucking know that because he says, you could stay here or you could, um, I don't have the quote. I'm sorry. I'm trying to read a quote that's actually my own fucking words. I'm like, wait, he says that? Nope, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> or you could finally fucking leave. <laughs> but yeah, he essentially is like giving her this, but he's like proposing where he they could go. And he's like, you know, I could come over here and have a date with you. Or you could finally leave this fucking house like you're so desperate to do and come to my house and I'll cook you dinner. And then he doesn't say, I'll cook you dinner. I actually, when I went back, I was like, what did he say? Who's going to fucking cook dinner? His, his Martha. Martha. And then I was like, his Martha? That's crazy. Because they haven't been using Gilead words yet. This asshole is using Gilead terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As the head of obstetrics. We'll get to that later. But yeah, uh, but yeah that that was crazy. I could not believe he said Martha. I could not believe that. that was, what the fuck? Yeah. She makes a mean cedar salmon. And Serena, like, you... We can see it on her face that she understands that she cannot just shoot this man down directly. And she and the disdain that crawls across her face when he says, oh, she makes a, a fantastic cedar salmon. She goes, does she? And she looks like she wants to stab him. She looks violent for a moment in her eyes. And I think like this is really like her just realizing I am there is nothing I can do at this point. I am mm-hmm. absolutely in a helpless situation. Mm-hmm. She is stuck having to placate this man and play the exact same game that she has made June play in her own household for years. Mm-hmm. My, how the turntables. <laughs> Funny how this works. <laughs> Do we want a new scene? Yeah. Okay. So the next scene, Aunt Lydia is power walking through the hospital and she's going to check on Esther. Something has happened. Um, hold up. Esther's uterine harvesting uh, her uterus harvesting harvesting thank you i also was like i don't know what's I happening here didn't Horrified. catch that the first time i watched it second time i'm like the excuse me what yeah <laughs> the uterus harvesting which says to me that they were trying to get her or that they were tr- giving her a forced hysterectomy um in an attempt to harvest her eggs I don't know. I'm thinking they were trying to do a uterine transplant. That's what that I is was a thinking, thing now, yeah. right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's I a very recent development. Because <gasps> they can harvest yeah. their eggs without taking her. Granted, but she. But I maybe they're taking the whole package out and giving it to somebody more worthy. Well, that that's that was my gut, but, but I have so many questions about this because is this Lydia? It seems like in this it, in this scene, this was Lydia's solution to what do we do with Esther. Well, we can't have her being a handmaid anymore. Because remember, we talked about it. Lydia's mm-hmm. changing. Mm. So Lydia's got to do something. And it sounds like, and I can't tell if this is an act of like she's trying to pretend she's happy that this thing is canceled. But it sounds, she's she's saying she's 
upset. I think she says exactly. She calls her, oh, it's so unfortunate. Tragedy seems to follow that poor soul. A, that's a different verbiage than what she's been calling Esther. Mm -hmm. Um, But she's saying that this is an unfortunate thing, that she's not getting this surgery of removing her uterus. And all I can think of is it's going to relieve her of ever having to be a handmaid again. Mm -hmm. So... I think that was Lydia's move, but I'm not sure. Maybe. I Perhaps. was a little confused. But at the end of the day, it's still involuntary mutilation. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's not far removed from uh, from the mutilation that she and had Emily endure. Yep. Or Natalie. Or Natalie. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. a reducing of the person in question down to parts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Esther is more like Natalie later. When we finally see mm-hmm. Esther, she is like a conscious Natalie. Yeah. And it's really horrifying. It is. Well, this is a big light bulb moment for Lydia. Yeah. Because she finally puts two and two together. And and here's another thing, too. Bed rest until term? I know. What the fuck? What is that? Is that a she really, truly does need to be on bed rest because of some sort of physical limitation that happened from the poisoning? Or is that just a, we're going to make you lay down until you have this baby? This is, she is a threat to herself and a threat to her child. The unborn child. You see what they did to her? Yeah. She's tied to the bed. They don't, they won't even let her, yeah, that is not, that's that's not bed rest. That's bed confinement. Yes. And it's a punishment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, that is all that that is, is that they know she, she attempted suicide once. She will do it again. That's why it's so it's so many shades of Natalie, because there there's nothing that's good about her being chained to a bed for nine months. It, no. Ugh. God, that freaked me out so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved Lydia's reaction, though, because Lydia, we know Lydia is so good at, at keeping on that, that face. Like, she doesn't break. And... When he says, we found she's been filled with his divine light, and she just, her whole act drops. She's pregnant? Like, pregnant is not what they say. They don't say the word pregnant on this show. or Not in Lydia's world, they don't. Mm -hmm. You know? And it was, yeah, she just couldn't keep it up. It was such a great delivery. I I just went back and watched it over and over again. I love the way she says that line. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. Yeah. And Dowd's acting in this entire episode was just a masterclass. And again, just her facial acting solidifies why she is one of my favorite, most underrated actors in the horror genre presently. Between her and Toni Collette, my word. Anyway, um, that's a a different podcast (laughs) and a different geek out session. But yes, like that moment where um, he says that uh, that Esther's three weeks along and you see it wash across Lydia's face that Putnam raped her. The end. Um, And it's no wonder that she tried to kill herself. Um, And then he asks if Lydia would like to see Esther. Not would Esther like to see Lydia. Of course not. Because doubling down on the notion that she is chained to the bed. she She is under confinement. They don't view her as a human being. They view her at this point as a uterus. Before we go into Esther, go ahead. No, go. Um, this is a big Lydia change in the scene mm-hmm. because this is, I think, we haven't seen a ton of her reactions to pregnancies, but we've definitely seen her reaction to June's pregnancy, mm-hmm. and it was slightly chaotic. I mean, it was insane. And mm-hmm. this is very different. As she is realizing an entirely different side, we, this is a big change in Lydia. For her to be, I mean, her praise be was somber because you're right, she, she's putting the math together she's figuring out what's happening um but it's just so different than her like baby crazy baby at all costs Mm -hmm. she's not this there is no celebration on her face and that's that's different yeah no she knows this is bad and she's able to put the pieces together and understand that there is uh timeline wise this all works And what bothers me is when Lydia gets into her questioning, which Mm -hmm. she is surprisingly gentle of in one breath. But then, you know, before we go any further, she basically says, did you lead him on? She she asks her, did you lead lead him on question? Did you behave in a way, even unwittingly, that may have invited his attention? We're victim blaming here. Which, fine, it takes a long time to unlearn these sort of behaviors. But Lydia... For fuck's sake. Yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly what they're going for is that's that's how it feels. Anytime yep. you're going to report a rape is you're going to 
potentially be subjected, very likely subjected to this kind of questioning. Mm -hmm. And I get what you're saying. I'm like, it's Lydia. This is... (laughs) This is surprisingly gentle, like you said, but still, yes, this is straight up victim blaming. Because, I mean, think about it. It's Putnam. What would she be doing in there? Like, what could she possibly have done unwittingly to have been like, please, let me invite your intentions? Existing. Existing was her her fault. That's what she did. She existed in front of Putnam. Mm -hmm. This whole thing is so out of Lydia's league. Because Esther represents a kind of breakdown that I don't know if Lydia knows how to deal with this. Mm-hmm. This is like fury like she has never witnessed before. And this is a fucking terrible thing, too. She put her in this position. Yeah. She did. Yeah. She, al- she allowed this to happen to her. Yeah. So that has to be doing things to her, too. But I'm also mad because between like this and her line of questioning and then the scene after with with Larry, is she really, really that obtuse? Is she really mm-hmm. that obtuse? Mm-hmm. It's not a case of her just lying to herself. I mean, I feel like yeah. with with uh, Serena and her little Miss Gilead yeah. act, yeah. she knew. Yeah, yeah. She she was, knew. she's been lying to herself. I agree. Yeah, 100%, yeah and she yes. was lying to herself. Yep. But Lydia, I, I guess this she... is the part where once upon a time she really believed. Right, yes. Right, that's, right. That's her part of the fairy tale mm-hmm. where this was all worth it and righteous mm-hmm. yeah so it there's yeah. two ways I, I was thinking about that and it depends on what Lydia we're looking at if we're looking mm. at Lydia of the Testaments then I think what this is like like with the backstory of Lydia yes. um then what we're we would be seeing here would be the brainwashing of that you were talking about before of or like, the un- yeah the undoing yes, of the brainwashing. Of, right yes right. but like yeah. r- because the light bulb's going on for Lydia, too, now. Yes, the undoing of brainwashing and what we've been seeing yeah. leading up to it was all the brain, like, like yeah. this obtuseness is yeah. just the undoing of the brainwashing. Like, yeah. she mm-hmm. wasn't seeing it. Um, but I think that Lydia of the series is different. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think Lydia of the series needed to be brainwashed into being an aunt. I think it was the writing was on the wall. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think she's that obtuse. No, I I agree with it being a light bulb moment, and I do think that Lydia is just that obtuse because um, I do think that she believed hook, line, and sinker, and she didn't need to be—I think you're both right because I don't think she needed to be convinced to do this in, um, in the TV series world. Right. In book world, absolutely. We see it in the Testaments that she needed to be compelled into this, um, but TV world— it seems less likely that she was forced into I uh, forced into this quite as unwittingly. Right. Or perhaps she was and the brainwashing was just extremely effective. We will see when we get there. Yeah. She might have been forced into more of the the physical the physical, physical punishment. punishment aspect of it, but we saw her the ideology was always there with Noel. Mm. And even in that episode with Noel though, when Lydia is rejected, mm-hmm. she demolishes that bathroom. Oh yeah. She does get violent. She gets violent with an inanimate inanimate room, but violent nonetheless. Yeah. You're right. I forgot about that. So I think the tendency was there, Mm -hmm. um, but just she was afforded the uh, option of being able to let that out on. Direct that rage. Exactly. Yeah. And did either of you feel like Lydia felt genuine remorse when she said, that's terrible. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't think Esther believes it, but I, I think the way we see Lydia, or at least the way I see Lydia, mm-hmm. I think she did. Um, I think she does want to change. I think she is trying to change, and I think this episode is huge change for her. Like, like we're seeing her, the changes, you know, the different reaction to a mm-hmm. pregnancy and the the just dropping the act of she's pregnant, you know, like all mm-hmm. of it. We're seeing changes later. The the delivery of her line at the, her like little speech at the end when Putnam's at the wall, that is a different Lydia. That sounds different than the Lydia we've heard so far in the show. Like, it's so cool what she's doing. But like, yeah, I just, I think there's, I just think, I don't know what the question was or what answer question, what I'm <laughs> answering at this point, but that's the end of my thought. Yeah, I'll Sorry. help you out. Thank you. I think it was legit because when she says he raped me, and Lydia pra- practically, like, barks out, that's terrible. That's terrible. Like, it it's just dawning on her that this <laughs> is terrible. Yeah. Ah. 
And she is, uh, to me, it was real because I don't think she she couldn't conceal her shock. And she said it's terrible once. And she clearly felt like she needed to say something else. But I don't think she had adequate words. So that's why she just said it's terrible again. Mm -hmm. And that just sounded even more inadequate. Yeah. So all around, out of Lydia's league. Yeah. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I agree with both of you that this was, for Lydia, a genuine, that's terrible. I'm sorry. Um, But it is not sufficient because there is now a psychologically damaged woman who has to carry her rapist's baby to term. Yep. I didn't know that they were filming this in Texas. Oh, look at that. Just the dumbass. I'm like, they are? <laughs> oh, my God. Three <laughs> years later. And I'm like, and what are you Blood looking at that you're confirming that on your screen? Do you have it pulled up? They filmed this in Texas? <laughs> I thought they filmed in Canada. <laughs> it's late or it's early. Um, and Esther, to her credit, no, you're not. They all do it. You know they do. You're not sorry. Call her on her bullshit. Because the only way that we've seen any growth from Lydia has been when people have called her on, or like in this in this season, mm-hmm. when Janine has called her on her nonsense and now Esther. Yep. And L- Lydia has been whittled down enough that every time someone calls her on her bullshit, she is starting to absorb it at this point. Yeah. And we see it with uh, with Lawrence. We've see, we see it all across the board. I'm so happy that Esther went ballistic on her. Don't fucking touch me, which what a liberating thing for her that must have been to say and scream, don't fucking touch me. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Like she's been holding that in for years. Mm-hmm. Man, that is a pregnancy whose progression I don't really want to see. I know. Yeah, I know. You're right. Do we want to go see Larry eat breakfast? Yeah, let's go see Larry eat breakfast and watch Lydia try to compel him to do something? To be surprised (laughs) at anything at all. Like, he's just eating and Lydia is going off about how important and terrible this is. And Larry is just not seeing it at all. I don't think it's that he's not seeing it. He just doesn't care. Well, I mean, he cares, but it's more like, duh, Lydia. No fucking shit. Yeah, exactly. He's asking the same questions we are. Is she yeah. really this obtuse? Right. Like, a rape here and there is effectively collateral damage for the success of Gilead. Welcome to the design plan, Lydia. And we talk a lot in this episode about, like, the difference between June and Luke um, and their experiences. Uh, this imagery reminded me of Larry from, again, that tor- the crossing, I think, is the torture episode. Yes. Um, where he's, like, sitting down having a feast with June mm-hmm. while they have, like, really difficult—he says very difficult things to her while he just eats so nonchalantly. And yeah. it's that same thing of he's just sitting there nonchalantly eating as Lydia explains the horrors that he's very well aware of. And he's yeah. not sure why Lydia isn't. But I like the imagery. Because she's the last person in the goddamn room to realize that her God-keeping and fearing society is really just a way for men to stay in power and have a piece of ass on the regular. And it, like, literally just dawned on her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it dawns on her, I think, truly dawns on her when she says, with vitriol in in her eyes and disdain in her voice and with pride, that justice will be served? Yeah. And it sure will. He call, he calls her on that and said, watch your tongue, Lydia. You're forgetting yourself. And all of that vitriol washes away. And you see, just for a fleeting moment, a twinge of fear in her face. Yeah. Because she yep. also realizes that if this is the same, uh, this is the same rubric that allows and effectively condones the rape of these women, she is nothing. She is a tool to be utilized, and that is it, just the same as her handmaids. She did offer up a opportunity for him on a silver platter, She though. did, mm-hmm. and I think he was—I actually think that he was um, helping her out a little bit when he said, you, for, uh, you forget yourself, because— 
her whole worldview is being rocked right now. Mm -hmm. And I think he sees that. I think he was surprised by it. He's not really understanding why this is rocking her worldview. Um, But once he realizes that, because they do this really cool thing. I mean, they're just so good. Bradley Whitford and Ann Dowd together. Like, uh, this is another scene that I could just savor for for forever. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do this squint thing when she first, because she marches in there, like, so thinking she has this great, information that's gonna that he's that's gonna rock his world the way it rocked hers and it obviously doesn't have that effect um and he asks for what crime and she gives him this like squint like what are you talking about what do you mean what crime and then he returns it to her when it's clear that she doesn't get the reality of the sacred ceremony like she really thinks this is a special sacred ceremony and everyone thinks it's the same as she does Mm -hmm. and he squints (laughs) back at her like like you didn't know really that? not getting it. Did you did you really believe Lydia? <laughs> yeah. It's just so I just love the way that that interaction back and forth was so perfect. Mm-hmm. But then he's he's seeing that she really is genuinely surprised by this is what I think. And so he's reminding her, like, slow down. I know your whole world is being rocked right now, but you you are in a precarious situation. Mm-hmm. And I think she realizes what he's saying a little bit or at least realizes mm-hmm. that, yes, she is in danger is she's in as much danger as any other woman in this Hmm. world and it's just dawning on her for the first time that's a really optimistic thought and uh i hadn't thought of it like that what a surprise being the nihilist i am that lawrence was actually kind of giving her uh, giving her a bone and the way that they ended this for me it was uh when watching it Mm -hmm. like there was there was anger there was frustration and it was more that they were ending on a polite manner, but both of what they were saying was forced. But now with that perspective of Lawrence was actually trying to help Lydia, it was, we're resetting now and we're going to go back to our roles, but we both are going to be talking in exaggerated tense and we both understand what we are talking about here. Yeah. Like the, you've given me a lot to think about. And she says in a very dramatic yet stilted way mm-hmm. you're welcome and something else like it did yeah. it felt yes. very forced and contrived <laughs> i'll and, leave you do it yes and it didn't really make sense to me it felt more like like caged anger mm-hmm. but now thinking of it from that way of lawrence is trying to get her to recenter herself and like rein it r- in right you have a role yes i have a role play the long game mm-hmm. oh yeah. he's juning her right now <sighs> He's juning her and he's setting her up for testaments action. Yeah. That's all it is. Because yep. this is, I mean, basically, I think we could probably call it, right? Yeah. That Lawrence is going to be the judge of the testaments. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. The relationship is there and yeah. it's it's perfect. And we can, yeah. this is a, a really fucked up partnership that we're going to see work together in really weird ways mm-hmm. as this pulp saga goes on. And yeah. I mean, I'm here for it. Yeah. Because you have two arguably terrible people that are also fascinating and outstanding at words and mind games, and I'm I'm into it. I'm into it forever. But I think this Judd is different than the Testaments. Yeah, it's going to have to be. Judd, it 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 has has to be be the same way Lydia is different. Yes, um, because you can't reconcile those two things. No, and I think that this pair together is more. I mean, terrible in the sense that they've definitely had a strong role in getting yep. this this government to where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they are going to both, the reason that they can pair up together is because they're going to try to take this government down the same way that they started it. Which is going to be really cool to watch if that's what happens. And that's what it feels like is going to happen. If it gives us six more seasons of uh, of <sighs> Anne Dowd and Bradley Whitford going toe-to-toe, yeah, be then I'm here for oh it. Oh, my God. Six seasons of this scene. Uh, yeah. <laughs> six seasons so of Anne Dowd making those wide eyes where you can see the whites all the way around and then transforming into a squint. And then like, I just mm, I want it. I want to gobble up every so moment good. of it. Oh, my gosh. We're but six I, seasons of Larry pointing out the obvious to her. That, 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 that'll do me too. <laughs> yep. Or hell, I'll take six more seasons of Luke and June. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. I'd be fine with that. Actually, no, I take that back. I wouldn't. Six more seasons of torture porn. Yeah. Well, no. Well, we know we're not going to get six seasons of Luke and June mercifully together. Anyway, because it can't go that way. No, it can't. So, well, in any event, shall we new scene? Sure. Going to Luke and June. And Luke is pacing, pacing like a caged animal. And he's rambling and just 
going through all of these possible scenarios and interlaced with cuts of June just sitting there. She's going to kill him. She's going to murder him. She is going to reach through that cage and she mm-hmm. is going to take his head with her because he's making her nervous. Yeah. But she's also like, there's no point in being nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, not naturally, I'm sure she has anxiety, but she knows not to waste her energy. And she tells him that panic mm-hmm. is an energy waster. Mm-hmm. And he's just defiant. He doesn't know what he's doing. And I hated the words that were coming out of his mouth. But I also understand the dude is freaking out, but he just goes to he goes to the wrong places. You know, when he's like, I'm just I'm just. Being, I'm sorry I'm being such a man about it. Like, oh, okay, okay. Get it out. Get it out. You're I feeling d- helpless. I get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take that as Luke being like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry I'm being a man about it. Like, you can't handle that I'm trying to be a man. But I think he was taking it more. I think the way that he was saying it in that stream of conscious panic yeah. was more, I'm sorry I'm being a stereotypical, like, yeah. cliche yeah. cliche of a man here. Yeah. And I don't understand how this is working, so I'm grasping at straws. Like, that's kind of how it felt more to me. Oh, As yeah. I got. I kind of got it like that, too. But I was also just like, buddy, just stop. Oh, yeah. Just, just, you're ridiculous. And and I do agree with you that it was like a, you know, almost like a dig at himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it totally is because it turns into that like two sentences later when he's like, how many times have you been through this? And she's like, I don't know, like every other week for like seven years. What do you want? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just like, what, what the hell? That's crazy. That's crazy. No. Yeah, I love that interaction. <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Like, that's crazy. And I enjoyed that they finally got to have this conversation. I wish it wasn't while they were in boxes no, side by right. side. Um, but with his comment before, I just, it's funny because you had just mentioned recently to me, I can't mm-hmm. remember if it was on the episode or not, about people being irritated with Luke in the past because he said things like, my wife. Yeah. And oh, that's, I still don't even understand that. Either. Either. So, okay. But I feel like that not this here on. is kind of that response because I don't have any issues with what he's saying. I, it was funny because I just, I mean, I have more issues with like the, I'm not panicking and then proceeds yeah. to panic. So like, <laughs> <laughs> he was projecting then, his like, own yeah, insecurities yeah, on that's her. All yeah, it is. It's just mm-hmm. that, it, it, if anything, I think um, when I was saying there isn't this, like, you know, love triangle in the text between um, June and Luke and yeah. Nick, I, a little bit, if anything, if you're going to find it, it's probably here because I think that's his own insecurity is, uh, we see it later, I think there's another line where I was like, oh, is he talking about Nick specifically or just kind of in general when he's, it might even be in the scene when mm. he's, uh, yes, when he says, that's crazy. That's insane. Thinking about you in here, you got to get help uh, from wherever you got to get help from. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was kind of the subtle implication of like, you always had Nick to help you and I couldn't help you. Yeah. And now I'm still, I'm here with you and I'm still completely helpless. Mm-hmm. And not only helpless, but June's like helping him. And yeah. that is just not what he wants to do. And so I just feel bad for him in this situation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me at all that he said that. No, I wouldn't say it was bothersome to me. I just understood the, I understood where it was coming from. Yeah. And like, I yeah. think we, she and I just are, um, that Scarlett and I just took slightly different turns from it. But yeah, no, it was totally understandable. I mean, I would also be having an anxiety attack if I was in this cage. I would be, if I were in Luke's situation of being in a cage for the first time, I would definitely be rabbit holing like that. Yeah. And, and I just get the feeling of, I don't think it's a, a man thing to want to protect someone you love. You're watching someone mm-hmm. you love yeah. in, in a situation that is terrible. Like, we're going to see it later when the roles are reversed and June has to watch him get the shit beat out of him. Yeah. That's just not a fun situation. I don't yeah, care if you're a man course. or a woman or who. Yeah. You, you're looking at someone you care about and you can't help them out of the situation. Of mm-hmm. course he's going to feel bad about that. Oh, I, yeah. I, I don't, I just, I don't understand. I don't mean you guys. I mean, yeah. I don't understand the the general complaints of, like, even the my wife situation. It is his wife. He's just yeah. saying my wife. He wasn't saying my wife who I own and control. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll yeah. to, I'll have to look more into this criticism. We'll do an, a whole episode on it because I think that's it. I feel like I do want to go slightly more into the, uh, the other Luke criticism mm. in general. People are complaining that, like, oh, the massive character shift of Luke, and now he's so angry. It's like, what massive character shift? People are getting, like, apparently, like, not every person I've seen, but I've seen a yeah. lot of circumstances of people being like, Luke has completely shifted his character and this is so out of trajectory for him. And like, y'all complained when he was up in Canada doing things the diplomatic way. And now you're complaining that he's getting angry. People just don't, you can, people can never be satisfied by what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Huh? And 
we talked about this yeah. in every episode. That there's a reason for the shift. Yes. Like, yes, there's a shift, but we've seen why. Mm-hmm. There's so a, it's a very clear path here. And there's a long game. Mm-hmm. And they're working towards the long game. I mean, it's the development of their relationship. This is further development of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any problems with that. And... I don't know. Everybody just needs to relax because don't worry. If you read the Testaments, they're not going to be staying together anyway. So you got your wish. (laughs) (laughs) But just cut Luke a little bit of slack here. It's his first time going through this and he's coping with the fact with going through himself and also uh, uh, reconciling that June has had to go through this multiple times. Mm -hmm. I really loved the way that this scene ended where um, once he is. Uh, once he has kind of calmed himself down a little bit and has centered himself, he talks about when I think of you in places like this by yourself and I wasn't there with you. And um, and she says, you were with me. I just love that. Mm-hmm. I think like, and it shows that the two of them have learned how to grow while being apart from each other. Yeah. They still love and appreciate who they, uh, who the other person is. And they will, as Moira said in the last episode, they just keep fighting for each other no matter what. That. I know. I agree. Yep. This was that was the point. That part in the scene um, was when I was like, "This is so nice." They're not mocking us. They are together. They're yeah. still together. And I was like, "This feels good." It was, yeah. There wasn't a whole lot in uh, the June Luke scenes that made me feel good, but this this part was it. Yeah. yeah. Like, there were co- some of their interact their interactions I, together when the uh, when there weren't guards around. I thought were really wonderful and tender and raw and emotional, mm-hmm. which is something that. They have been learning how to work with each other and how to communicate with each other and how to love and appreciate who they each are now. And this kind of just this this scene drove it home for me. Mm-hmm. I think June may be a little tired of having to shepherd. I was feeling that. Yeah. The week. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Through yes, the valley yes, of Gilead. It really is like just always her. Yeah, yeah, she's the hand holder of the people who are like losing their shit. The and that's uninitiated. What she does. The uninitiated. And eventually, you know, I do appreciate the fact that she told him, like, okay, look, you just need to knock it off. I survived. Yes. So yes. just stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I made it. Yeah. And you're going to make it too. Mm-hmm. And just, just stop. Mm-hmm. This box is pretty big, actually. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about small boxes? <laughs> Wow. Next scene, Serena and Mrs. Wheeler are cutting some flowers. Secateurs, anyone? These things Mm -hmm. just keep making a reappearance Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, I totally forgot Alanis' name for this whole scene. (laughs) And when I was taking notes, I just started calling her Mrs. (laughs) 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 It's Mrs. Mrs. Something. Oh, that's funny. And Wheeler was too much to write. That's really funny. So I just called her the Mrs. That's funny. Uh, I had the opposite problem. I couldn't remember that her last name was Wheeler. Um, oh. And I kept going back to uh, the doctor, um, the doctor's kind encouragement from Alanis to ask her, uh, yeah. ask out Serena. I was like, Alanis, great. Thank you. Thank you so much for the memory jog. Um, <laughs> but she's just cutting the flowers and she's surrounded by bouquets of beautiful tulips. Just all of these wonderful flowers. Look at all these flowers, bountiful and so full of life and the exact antithesis of Serena's depressing greenhouse of doom oh yeah well she does like to cut things back (laughs) she She does she likes to keep things pruned (laughs) pruning encourages life after all uh that felt ominous yeah yeah hitting i love how serena tries to brush it off i used to spend hours in my greenhouse reminding myself that pruning encourages life like yeah, we know we've seen yeah, we've yes. seen all, many seasons mm-hmm. of you brooding in your greenhouse as you <laughs> dwell over your your difficult handmaid and how you can prune her back further. So yes. enjoy, mm-hmm. Serena, mm-hmm. <laughs> enjoy. And they were two tiny boxes. I like the cinematography yeah. here of them in their little boxes. It was a really cool, interesting mm-hmm. shot. Absolutely. Alana's just egging on Serena, too, about, like, oh, how charming is uh, is Dr. Landers? And, oh, how accomplished he is. And, oh, oh, you mean, he did ask you? Oh, well, so wonderful. Isn't that evidence of God's great blessing? It sure is, until Serena starts using words like choose a lot. Nobody likes <laughs> yes. that. We don't use the we word choose or the... choice. Yeah. No, 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 no. Serena's still not seeing the writing on the wall here. Oh, she is. She's seeing it. Well, the... And she's seeing it, but she's still talking about choice with someone who is drank in the Gilead. I think yeah. she, yeah, I think she was testing her last couple limits to be mm-hmm. like, 
let me just spell it out for her. We're not actually in fucking Gilead, crazy lady. Right. <laughs> and apparently they are. No, absolutely. They're in North Gilead. Yeah. It was really sort of hammered down with um, with Alana saying, you can't be a single mother. The needs of your child are more important than your feelings. Ooh, look at that. There is so much to unpack in this conversation. So much. There yeah. is oh. so much. I oh. When you go back to the... Um, when she calls her God's great blessing, mm-hmm. because that implies that this is like this happenstance, that God had all of the whatever role in getting them to this point. And yeah. that's Serena's playbook is to blame everything on God. It's mm-hmm. always God's yeah. choice. God, she can't help it that your rights are being taken away. It's God's right. will that she's mm-hmm. the special the special one that doesn't that gets to do the special things. Mm-hmm. And now she's watching Alanis be like, it's God's will. This is God's blessing. Yeah. Meanwhile, Serena's upstairs in the attic with Dr. Creep and she knows that this has all been the the what's their name? The Wheelers. It's called the Waterfords because that's how fucking confusing they this might is as well to me. Version um, 2.0. Yeah. But yeah, she knows that this has all been that they've set these wheels in motion long ago, mm-hmm. which made me think a little bit about this whole doctor setup because I, there's a couple different ways I thought of this playing out. Um, because do you think that she really did want Serena to just jump at the the date with the doctor? Because that kind of ends the whole handmade thing if she sets her up. But she does seem excited. So there's just a couple different ways I thought of her either genuinely wanting her to get with the doctor or just setting her up knowing that Serena's going to be like, no, I'm not dating my fucking doctor, you weirdo. Yeah. Which is what she does, obviously. Exactly. But do, did you think about that at all? You know, you I, thoughts? I did think about it as a fleeting thought. Um, and... It does go against the wheelers utilizing Serena as a handmaid and prepping to take this baby away from Serena because Serena is a single mother at this at this juncture mm-hmm. and un, and by the eyes of Gilead unfit to raise this child. Um, if if the wheelers have fully drank in the Gilead juice, though, then it's less a matter of we want the child give us grabby hands and more this child needs to be raised by a mother and a father and. If this happens with us, amazing. If it happens with a doctor, a doctor of all people. Like, could you ask for better? Mm. Um, So for me, like, if it was a deviation from that, it was simply just a matter of whatever uh, the needs, uh, the needs of your child are more important than your feelings. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Um, And it was so cut and dry for me at that point that I was like, I I dismissed it at that point that it doesn't matter whether it was. Alan, or Alan is hoping that she would say no to the doctor's advances so she could take the baby or, you know, Serena says yes to the doctor's advances. In either event, the child's going to be raised in a mother or in a household with a mother and a father. And that's the Gilead way. Yeah. So it became irrelevant to me at that point. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I think that I never really considered them just truly like worrying about the best interests of the child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that they were kind of setting themselves up for a win-win. Either she refuses like she does and now they have grounds to be like you're unfit. Yeah. Um, or she gets with the doctor and now they've set it up. It seems like he needed their fucking permission for the whole thing to even go down. Right. So now they look good when they do become Gilead because that is what they're trying to do here. And that's what really freaked me out about this conversation is that she said he's the head of OB at the University of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is terrifying to mm-hmm. me um, because yeah. this motherfucker has a Martha. He calls her his Martha. Mm-hmm. He has a Martha in his house, and he's running the head of OB? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> University of Toronto. Yeah. <sighs> that is that is really fucking scary. So yeah. it makes me think that these wheelers are, like, 100% gunning for, like, top commander of North Gilead. That's mm-hmm. what I think this is <laughs> trying to be. Gilead. And, and not even they drank the Kool-Aid, but, like, they came up with a better recipe is what I think. Like, I think they look at, at Gilead right now, and they're like, oh, we can do so much better. Mm-hmm. We meaning Wheeler and whoever the fuck he's working with, but I think he's high up there. Like, I think he is high up there. And um, if she ended up getting with the doctor, then it was just like, now this doctor is forever in their favor. The doctor's forever in their favor. And also that makes Serena no longer a problem. Yeah. She's no longer a variable. Mm -hmm. I like that as an idea. But I do think that it was more likely... If I had to pick a guess, because mm-hmm. later, like, the whole, like, Fred and the study, like, grossness and, like, the way he was, like, enjoying this, like, tit for tat with his two women in his house mm. is so Fred-like, right? Yes. And um, that makes me think that 
they just had better intel on Serena and they knew that she would refuse this offer Mm -hmm. because she is, she 100% does think she's too good and she is too good for this creep. Um, And now they have the grounds to be like, well, you're not looking out for your best, the best interest of the baby. So we have to step in, which is exactly what they're looking for. Exactly. So that was my thoughts on that. I mean, Serena even tries to throw Commander Lawrence's name around and she gets totally stonewalled. <laughs> and it's just fascinating because in a scene further out, June does the same thing. And all of a sudden her captors are like hands off. Mm-hmm. Boom. So look at who has more sway now. Yeah. Serena mm-hmm. has nothing. And then as uh, after Alanis tells her to go to her room, like the handmade child that she is, Alanis is literally wearing the pants today. I'm sorry, did I, I may have misheard that I thought Serena said to Alanis, go to your room. It was Alanis that said to Serena, go to your room. Thank you. That makes way more sense. (laughs) Way more sense. Because I watched that scene twice. I was like, what? Is Serena saying go to your room like she's trying to infantilize her and then she huffs away? But no, that makes (laughs) much more sense, especially considering the last capture of that scene with Alanis quite literally wearing the pants. Yep. She's wearing the pants of the Mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. Just today, though. Is Serena still in blue in this scene? Yes. Yeah, I love how she's still trying to double down on this. Hanging on to that blue. I'm a widow in mourning, damn it. I am not going to wear red. (laughs) Not your handmade. Well, she goes back to her room for a good cry. She's in a cage now, too. And I feel like that cross is perfect above her head. Mm -hmm. This is what she wanted. The cross is perfect above uh, above her um, head. But also... Her room is the most sparse room in the entire house. It is already fashioned as a handmaid's uh, yep. room. Yeah, did you notice how like it's the placement of the bed? It's the window seat. Mm-hmm. It's the windows. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Same thing. To a T. Vince Scott had pointed out that she at least gets to keep the mirror at this point. At yeah. this point. Good for her. Getting a mirror. They really want her to see her handmaid's station. <laughs> they got to really spell it out for Serena. We know this. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if she sees it twice, she'll get it. (laughs) Well, this is where we are going to wrap it up. We're going to come back in a minute and cover the back half of Season 5, Episode 6. So stay tuned. Love us? Hate us? Either way, let us know. We appreciate feedback from Intels and Incels. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can just shoot us an email at redresistancepodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to give special thanks to Mr. Scarlet for making our podcast sound amazing. Without him, we'd be all fuzz and echoes. We'd also like to give a shout-out to Peter Levesque of Heliovox for providing us with our badass intro and outro music. Thank you for listening, and try not to let the bastards grind you down. <laughs>